few years ago, in a weak moment, moved by a good cause, I find, found myself signed up to do a sponsored walk. Uh, and because my enthusiasm and my impulsive nature exceeds my organizational skills and indeed my capacity, this sponsored walk was the three peaks of Yorkshire, which is, as we talked a little bit earlier, it's 26 miles. And because my organization is, is not great, this was in November. And if, if you know anything about November, you'll know that there's only about nine or 10 hours of daylight in the day or something like that in November. And the three peaks is about um, 12 hours. This hadn't yet registered on me. And as I went around enthusiastically getting sponsorship for this good cause, nobody, everyone was just enthused. They were happy that I was, you know, something good was happening, they were happy to give me sponsorship, so I collected this sponsorship up until one of my um, good friends put his arm on my shoulder and he said, I can't let you do this. And then he finished the sentence and said, I can't let you do it on your own. Uh, so a couple of weeks later, um, I picked him up at five o'clock in the morning. I was armed with a couple of four-finger Kit Kats and a newly bought Kegel. He had bivy bags, um, a proper... Mac, um, a head torch, everything you could think of. Um, and we did the walk. And switching my head torch on, if you know anything about the three peaks, the way that one of the ways that you can do it finishes with Ingleborough at the end, and it's a steep incline. And as the sort of sun went down, and as I scrambled up to the top of uh, Ingleborough at the end, switching on my head torch, um, as is my habit uh, often, I got a little bit emotional. I got a little bit emotional at well, probably a few things. A little bit about what we'd achieved. It's a 26-mile walk, and we'd done 20-odd miles of it. Um, probably a little bit how in jeopardy this whole thing was until my friend sort of helped me out, how near to failure, how embarrassed I would have been, and how pleased I was to be able to get over the line. Uh, but more than that, and this, is, this sounds soft, and I ain't, I ain't um, psyched myself to say it, um, in front of all you good people. But the fact that somebody, I think, I want to use the word liked because I'm not, but I think probably loved me enough, this good friend of mine, to sacrifice his day, to risk his safety, and to take care of me. I found a loving friend, I think, and I've still got a loving friend in this guy. What's the moral of this slightly odd story at the start? Idiots shouldn't be allowed to do charity events. Could it be that? It could be that, couldn't it? That's not, a pro that's not probably a bad moral. We can achieve anything with good support. Could also be that. There's some truth in that um, moral as well. It was a near miss. And there's something to be learned from the near miss. Real friends shouldn't encourage unwise choices. If it had been a real friend, maybe he'd have just stopped the whole thing. Or, and this was the biggest moral for me, being loved matters more than we know. Being loved matters more than we know. This is just a trivial tale, I think, but it gets us to think about, we've been thinking about identity, it gets us to think about the identity puzzle that is before us. Is identity something that we do? Is it something that we go after? Is it something that we try out? Is it something that we achieve? Or is it something that is given to us? that we realize, that we appreciate, that we come to know. I think this is one of those things that we are figuring out and puzzling out all of our lives. It feels like, doesn't it, that it's something that we've got to go after. 
And yet, nothing at all matters if we don't feel loved, if we don't know that we're loved. Who are we? What is our identity? Israel, in this story and throughout the Old Testament, are working out their identity. They've got this identity tension. On one hand, they know that they're loved. They know that something's been given to them. They're God's special people. But all the time, what do we see them doing? Chasing their identity, going after stuff, winning battles, making a name, getting a king. And as they wrestle with this identity tension, we know that these stories were accumulated when the people were in exile, trying to remember who they were, who they are, and figure out what to do next. They were told cautionary tales. I think some of the text that we've just read is, I call it, I think of it as an okay but story, but a cautionary tale. So an okay but story. So for example, we've been on holiday this week. It's a story that you tell with enough underlying uh, negativity, even though something's already going to happen, enough underlying negativity to get the person to always have that in the back of their mind. So we went on holiday this week, and we were in that mode where you you get sweets when you wouldn't ordinarily get sweets. You spend money that you wouldn't ordinarily spend. And we spent probably more than we would have done ordinarily. But all of these stories were laced with, this is what can happen. So I would occasionally show my kids my teeth. And it was, this is where we are. This is what we're doing. This is, this is where we are just now. But you need to know this is not a plan without consequences in the rest of your life. There's two stories that we're going to read about. There's the, oh, we're going to think back through. There is the private, the, the Israel are going to appoint a king. There is the private appointing of the king. And there is the public appointing of the king. We're going to skim through these two stories. I think it often works out like that, doesn't it? So in chapter 9 that Matteo looked at last week, there is the private appointing of the king. We're going to reflect on that. And then there is how you make that private appointing of the king look democratic. So chapter 9 is, this is the guy that's going to be king. Chapter 10 is, this is how we're going to make it look democratic. The last, the last chapter, it's really, it's, it's a mad, you'll have, maybe you've, you read through it last week or you saw some of the references to donkeys in this little story, and you probably thought, maybe I don't need to hear the references about donkeys, it's not going to be about donkeys. It's a mad riff about some donkeys. So, Saul's, this is, this is the, and I, I've really reflected on this, it's been quite nice as we've had the, the, the Platinum Jubilee, and we've had this idea of uh, the monarch on the throne all this while, and this is Israel starting, this is the very first king, I've had this lovely idea in the back of my head of what it would be like and I've loved imagining Queen Elizabeth saying this, if we were just to start again with the royal family thing. Can you imagine what, how that would? Because this is essentially what's going to happen. Chapter 9, chapter 10, king for the first time. How do you go about something like that? I love the notion that Queen Elizabeth, maybe even tonight, says, we're going to start again with this whole... I don't think the next generation's up to it. We're going to start again, and we're going to go on a search throughout the United Kingdom to find the next king. This is how it starts. This is how they find their first king. Saul's dad's donkeys get lost. Random? Yeah, Saul's dad's donkeys get lost. Saul is sent to find them. So that you've got this image initially, and you've got, I want you to follow me down this. You feel like you're going down a crazy path. They've got this story of these lost donkeys. Saul's sent to find them, but he can't find them. That's, that's in chapter 9. And he's so long looking for them, he starts to get worried that his dad's going to be worried about him. 
getting lost. So there's this whole lostness riff story going on. Eventually, we see that God's in it. Samuel, the prophet's expecting him. There's this meeting, there's this coming together, and Saul is anointed, and his heart changes. So you've got this real, I think an okay but story. It's hardly the stuff of legend, is it? It's hardly King Arthur pulling the sword out of the stone. You're hardly blown away by it. It's a guy who chases some lost donkeys, and he doesn't find them, and he nearly gets lost. It's this okay, but it's like, okay, we're going to get a king, and he's tall, and that's going to be helpful, but he gets lost, and he's, he's looking for donkeys that are lost. There's this undertone of, okay, but you need to think about the lostness. Then the next story, the story that we're looking at here, this it's almost like, and this is, I think, how Samuel chooses to go about it, it's almost like a Britain's Got Talent sort of episode. Look, that's kind of how he seems to go about it. Britain's Got Talent. We're going to get all the people to come together. And it's not just so you can perform in front of the queen or king. It's so that you can, can you imagine a contest like this? That you come together and you can be the actual king or queen. So in verse 17, you see that happening. Samuel summoned the people of Israel to the Lord at Mizpah. So he calls all of the people together. Then Samuel gives this, and again, I think this is an okay but story. This is, his, this is his speech at the start of this grand, can you imagine any speech like this? So undermining whoever the person that's actually going to be king is. This is what, this is verse 18. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, I brought you up out of Egypt, and I delivered you from the power of Egypt and all the kingdoms that oppressed you. But you've rejected your God, who saves you out of all your disasters and calamity. And you've said, no, appoint a king over us. This is, the, this is like the speech at the start of this look round for the new king. Properly, okay. But then he gets everybody to come forward. All the tribes come forward. Eventually, we get the tribe of Benjamin. And they come out clan by clan. I can't imagine how this works. They all, you know, you imagine that they're looking for a king. You probably dust yourself down. You try and present yourself as well as you can. Matris can, clan was taken. And this is, they're trying to, they're, they're gunning for this tada moment. They're trying to make it appear democratic. They're trying to make it look like, yeah, this is what, this is, of course this is the king. That's how dem sometimes democracy can work, isn't it? But what happens? Verse 21. Finally, Saul, Saul, son of Kish, was taken, but when they looked for him, he wasn't to be found. Can you imagine going to the trouble of getting all of Israel there? We've got this whole, ta-da, this is the guy, look how tall he is, look how great he is, and he's not even there. It's a total story. It's a total cautionary tale. This is where we're at. This is, this is what we've decided to do. This is our circumstance. We've, we want a king. But underneath all of that, there is this lostness. There is this, he's not even here to be found. One of the lessons I think that we learn from this, the storyteller is sort of subtly feeding into the listener is that if you, you raise anything up so high, whether it be a man or the ideas of a man, that they occupy the space that only really God can be, that they become your identity. Even if, as Saul would have done, it seems like a good appointment, a good identity, and a good way to go. This is going to mean a lostness 
our culture elevates stuff so high. Power, money, sex, popularity. Stuff so high to become, to occupy an area only, only really where God should be. So high that it becomes sex, money, power, popularity. It becomes more than just stuff that's good and helpful, but it becomes our identity. And it feels like a reasonable thing. But what do we see as we look around at this kind of stuff becoming the most important stuff? This stuff taking the highest possible place in people's lives, becoming people's identity. We see similarly lostness. We see lostness. And if we don't see it yet in some of these issues, we see lostness down the line. Then comes the amazing but in this story. Because it's a pretty uninspiring, here's our king story. The amazing but in verse 22. So they asked God, they inquired further of the Lord, has the, has the man come here yet? And the Lord said, yes, he's hidden himself among the supplies. It doesn't sound like much. But you see what God still does? Even though they've decided to go out on their own, they've made some unwise choices, God still helps. God still acts to love them. What is the moral to this story? Stupid people shouldn't be kings. It's not a bad, not a bad moral, actually. That's a pretty good idea, I think. With good support, anything's possible. Maybe. How about this? A real God wouldn't encourage unwise choices. A real God who would act as a real friend wouldn't encourage this kind of foolishness if this guy is going to be the king. Do you know what I think the, the real moral of this story is? I think we see it as we see this kind of ongoing revelation throughout the Bible that being loved, even though the people are choosing to go down their own path, even though identity is important, even though God calls his people to be something, being loved, God can't leave them alone. He can't let them alone. Being loved really matters. We find our identity in loads of different ways. We shape ourselves we get shaped by others. We have circumstances that come along in our life and shape us. But ultimately, none of this matters without realizing we are loved. Knowing that you're loved, knowing that you're loved by God is the key pointer to your identity and you discovering who you really are. One of the best stories on human identity in the Bible um, is the story of the lost son or the lost son. So if you want to go back, we've got, we're going to show some of the text on the screen in a minute, but if you want to read it back, read back through Luke chapter 15, thinking through some of these subjects of identity that we've been thinking about. Do you know the story of the lost son? Is it familiar to you? Let me just recap it really quick. There's a son, the prodigal, who's kind of overcome by a moment of selfishness. He asks his father for his inheritance, is it becoming more familiar now? And he goes out, he grabs all this inheritance, and he blows it. He lives the life for a little while, but he comes to a point where, I think the text says, he comes to his senses. He realizes his father's still 
out there, and he's still got loads. Um, he's still got a warm home, and he's still got provision for him. But he's wasted it. But he comes to his senses. And the father, we read in the story, the father, even though the son's legged it, the father's not given up. We read about the father who comes running when he sees his son turning back. The father is scanning the horizon. And when the son gets there, the father drops everything and he puts on this huge big feast. But this isn't the end of the story because there's two brothers in this story. And when the younger brother gets back and is forgiven, the older brother sees what's happening. And the older brother, meanwhile, he's stayed and he's worked the land and he's been honorable to his dad this whole time. He can't quite believe what he's seeing. And he's embittered. And he can't, he can't get past it. He can't move on. This story, I think, shows us two ways in which we find our identity as human beings. First one, see this in the younger brother, the pleasure pursuit. That's where I'm going to find my identity, how much fun I can have. And there are very well-known, well-thought-out philosophers who would advocate this as a way of life. This is what life's all about, pursuing pleasure. We see that in the younger brother. The older brother doesn't seem to pursue pleasure, but he does have his own way that he gets tripped up and he looks for identity. He finds his identity in what? In his work. Rather, his self-worth and his self-righteousness. That's where all his identity is, and he can't get past that idea. And what do we see in the story? Or what do we know from real life pleasure pursuits and finding identity in pleasure and work? Even though they feel like good time fillers and they feel like worthwhile things, neither of them, neither of them are enough. We go down either of those routes and we find that we are still searching for more meaning in life. And we learn from the story of both brothers, neither of them find peace with God. Neither of them find peace with God. What allows them to find themselves? What are the key ways to find identity that we see in this story? I think there's two ways, and I think these are really critical for us when we think about how we might answer this question of who do we think we are. The first one is that they need to understand what it means to be lost. Lostness is as much about the heart as it is about the head or the circumstances that you're faced with. We see that the younger brother He found himself lost in the circumstances of life. It's pretty overt what he went through. The older brother, we see in the text, and it's revealed to us that he's, he's there the whole time. His lostness is not, it's not that he puts himself in a different place. It's not really even circumstantial. He doesn't go after it, even in that sense. His lostness is a lostness of the heart. If you like, he's around the Father. We could think of him as somebody who is 
very informed on what it means to know God. But he's still really lost. And it's not a physical lostness for him. It's a hardness of the heart. It's an embitterness. It's a self-righteousness. I think whenever we, we think about lostness, we think about, think about the younger brother, rightly so, who clears off and seeks pleasure, seeks his own things. But it can be more than that. It can be a real hardness of the heart. We can be, we can be embittered. We can be angry. And we can be hanging around church all our lives and we can be just as lost as younger brother type characters. What's the other way that they find themselves? And I think this is the key to the story and the key to identity. It's how they respond to the father. The older son, when the father throws this feast and he puts on... He he, he slaughters the, the fattened calf and he gives him his best coat and he does all this stuff. The older son just can't accept it. Can't accept the sacrifice. Can't accept that the, the father can forgive somebody who's, who's forgotten all about him. But what do we see about the younger son? He got up and went to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to the father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and now he's found. You see what the younger son does? even though he was overtly lost, he's able to accept the sacrifice of the father. It's too much for the older son. He can't do it. He can't look at it. The younger son wears the sacrifice. He completely embraces the sacrifice. Do you see the bigger story that comes out of this story? This is, this is the story of the Bible. This is what it's all about our response to God's love. This is the critical issue about our identity. God makes his love known. He shows us his sacrifice. He invites us to his feast. Will we embrace it or will we run away from it? I want to close with, um, I don't know if we've got it up on the screen, a tweet by a guy called, we don't, have the, we don't have the tweet up, that's all right. I was flicking through Twitter um, the other day. A guy called um, Tim Burgess, who's from the 90s, um, if you're familiar with the 90s. Um, he was a, a singer in a rock band. He tweeted about the Queen's, um, he called it her hat, the Queen's um, crown he was tweeting about. And he, it was an um, anarchic tweet. He said, Yeah, this, this crown is worth millions or billions of pounds. And he suggested that it, the jewels in this crown weren't honorably attained, shall we say. And he said it would be amazing to celebrate the Jubilee by selling this crown and giving all the money 
um, to the people who need it. Now, don't know if I would self-describe or self-identify, that's the term, as a royalist. I, f I feel like I'm fairly neutral, but I have got a real growing endearment and for the old lady who is our queen. And so whenever I hear something that agitates this, I find myself almost subconsciously drifting onto that side of defense, even though I, I love this guy, Tim Burgess, and I read this quote, and I, but I immediately want to go to the position of, oh, that's, that's just going to cause trouble, that's nonsense. Because probably, probably only recently, actually, when, if I think about it really honestly, I look on at this lady who's, uh, who's the queen, and I see, I guess I see faithfulness, and I see um, signs of her testimony and love for her saviour, and I jump to the side of defence. And I guess I, f I favour her. And yet, when I read this tweet, I can't, I couldn't let it go when I read it. I thought, imagine that. Imagine, imagine a king or a queen who could sell that piece of jewellery and help out all those people. And then the penny dropped for me. That's my king. That's the story that's changed my life. My king sold everything that he had that I might get to know him. Now, I like the queen, but imagine a king who would do that. Would you not turn and follow them? I think we see in the story of the lost sons and Israel's search for a king, that we are more lost than we can ever get our heads around. We are so, we are more trapped and pinned in by sin than we could ever think through. And yet, and this is, this is our identity, this is who we are, yet at the same time, we are more loved than we could ever know. This is who you are. You're somebody who's been terribly lost and who's been lovingly found.